0: Everyone and welcome to the South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you, and today we continue a study that we started some time ago in the book of Romans, and so if you have your Bible, turn with me to the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome. Now, that letter is in the New Testament, which is the back part of your Bible, so if you kind of open it up and you find some red letters, you can turn right and keep going, and you're going to find this book of Romans. Now, Romans is a letter that Paul writes to the church at Rome, and the church at Rome was, was diverse. Um, there were in the church those who had a religious background who had grown up in a Jewish environment and knew something of the Bible and something of God and then there were in the church those who were pagan. They came from a a, a background of idol worship and they knew nothing about the Bible and, and, and so all of a sudden you have these two groups of people that you bring together that are so different and so unique and have so many different needs and somehow we have to move forward. And Paul writes this letter really to help them understand how to come together and move forward. Now we've come in our study to chapter 12, and I told you last time we were together that chapter 12 is a turning point in the letter that Paul writes to Rome. The first 11 chapters, Paul kind of gets deep in the weeds on some basic truth or doctrine that we need to know. He, he, he really opens the word of God to us and explains some truth. But when he turns to chapter 12, he really now begins to open up and tell us how to apply what we've discovered in the first 11 chapters. Now that's not unlike Paul. He seems to do that often in his letters. He'll give us some deep theological truths in the first part of the letter and the last part of the letter. He kind of gets practical and, and application and tells us how to live that out. And so as we turn to chapter 12, Paul begins to look at at our lives and how the truth that he has shared in the first 11 chapters should impact our daily living. And so what he is saying is our relationship with God ought to be seen in the way we live our life. And we looked at the first two verses last time we were together, and, and let's look at them again. Paul says in chapter 12, verse one, therefore I, I urge you, I implore, I encourage you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that that you may prove that uh, what the the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now last time we were together I told you what Paul says in that passage of scripture he he offers the beginnings of this this look into the application of truth, and he says, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. I encourage by the mercies of God, since you are the recipient of God's mercy, since God chose you and loved you and you don't deserve it, and he doesn't give you what you deserve, and because he gives you grace and mercy, the the reasonable thing to do in light of what we receive is to give ourselves completely to someone like that, that we can trust him because of that great love that he has demonstrated. So Paul says, I want you to give your, your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And, and then he says, and stop. Conforming to the ways of the world and, and to the, to the ideology of the world. Stop thinking that way. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the fact that he said be transformed means that that's something that happens outside of us. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms us. And we learned last time we were together that what Paul is saying is, I want you to live your life in such a way that the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside when you accepted jesus as your savior the bible says god changed you old things were passed away behold all things become new and paul said that's not just on the inside that's an outside change too so i want that change that has been brought about on the inside to be evident on the outside And that happens as we yield every day to the Lord. God, I just give you my life today, and I want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, and I want you to transform me, make me uh, into the image of Jesus. Now, what Paul does in verse 3 is he kind of builds on that. And he helps us understand practically what that looks like. If we are to renew our mind, what does a renewed mind look like? And what he's going to do is say that God wants to change our thinking and the way he changes our thinking automatically results in the change of behavior in three basic areas. And so he's going to teach us the importance of right thinking with regard to ourself. He's going to then talk about right thinking with regard to others, and then he's going to talk about how we connect in the body of Christ, and he does that in the next few verses, beginning with verse 3 down through verse 8. So let's look at it together. And through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in our body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of our faith, if service in his serving, and he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now in just those few verses, Paul kind of opens the curtain a little bit to say, okay, if God's gonna transform our thinking, if if he is going to change the way we think, there are three particular areas where that should exhibit itself in our daily life. And the first that he refers to is in the way that we think about ourselves. Right thinking about ourselves. Now, one of the things Paul does here is he once again gives us kind of a positive and a negative. He did that in the first two verses in the command that he offered or the instruction that he gave. And he does that again. And he begins with a negative when he, when he simply says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. Now we could kind of translate that this way: Do not superthink of yourself, or it could be this way: Don't get hyper about yourself. Now, what happens is Paul knows that there are some in the church at Rome who had come to the place where they kind of felt like they were better than other people. They were better than some of the other people in the church. And so knowing that, Paul says, hey guys, when God transforms us on the inside so that the outside looks like the inside, we need to make sure that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Now, let me just mention this because I think it's important. Paul did say, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. He didn't say that we were to think bad of ourselves. It's self-esteem, a healthy self-esteem is important, isn't it? It's good. We teach that to our children to have self-confidence is important. We can't really do our job well if we're not confident in our ability and confident in what we can do and how we can do it. And and so Paul is not saying that we shouldn't have a a healthy self-esteem or that we shouldn't have self-confidence or or, or we shouldn't read the little book to our children about the little engine that could, that I think I can, I think I can. No, we teach our children about those truths. But what he says is like anything, if you're not careful, we have a tendency to go beyond that. And suddenly, from having a self confidence that is healthy, and, and I feel confident that I can do what I need to do, I'll begin to see myself in a way that I shouldn't. Now, the self confidence, I think, comes from the very fact that, that as a child of God, having been transformed by God, having been accepted by God, or as Paul says in those first two verses, having received the mercies of God. If we know that God loves us, then we can feel good about ourselves, right? Our self-esteem should be tied to the fact that God loves us and that we don't have to earn that love and we don't have to earn anything. He loves us. And so I can feel good about myself. But Paul says there is a danger that, that, that if we're not careful, it can lead to too much and all of a sudden, there's this false sense of security that comes with a dependence upon myself. And I get to the place where I forget that I need God. And that's a dangerous place to be. But it's an easy place to get to. And so Paul says, hey, it, it, this this is dangerous for all of us. And maybe I think from what he is telling us that, that this should be a part of our daily prayer. God, help me today not to think of myself more than I should. Help me today to... To have an understanding of my need for you, my dependence upon you, that I don't come to the place where I I, I think that that I'm greater than I am. That's the reason all over the Bible, the scripture calls us to humility, to humble ourselves before God. Because our default setting, I think, is pride, right? Right? Our default setting is to begin to think of ourselves more as more important than any other thing. I I, I told you that there's one way we can recognize that we are all selfish by nature. And none of us accept that. We think, oh, no, other people are selfish and other people have pride issues. But I don't have pride issues and I'm not selfish. You remember I told you there's a test that we can always take. Who's the first person you look at in a group picture? Yeah, and who's the one person in the picture that determined whether or not it's good? Are we going to post this or not? Well, everybody else looks great, but if you don't, oh, I, I, I think we need to take it over again because we are by nature selfish. Now, that's not necessarily bad unless we come to the place where where it literally becomes pride. And Paul, and, and you know what the scripture says in the book of Proverbs. Pride comes before the what? Fall. And I want to tell you something. God didn't want you to fall. He didn't want you to fail. And he says, listen, the reason I tell you not to think of yourself more than you ought to is because it's going to lead to a disastrous end. You're going to begin to depend on yourself. And and you're going to think you can live life in your own strength. And guess what? You can't. The mess you're in right now is proof that you can't, you need him. And so constantly in scripture, we are warned not to, to be proudful, not to think of ourselves more than we should because it comes before the fall. I really saw a great illustration of this on our vacation not a couple of weeks back. I was by a swimming pool and and, uh, and I got up and and uh, my wife is one of those people that loves to lay out in the sun and I, I'm the guy that's trying to find a shade. You know, I'm just like, you know, I'll read a book, but give me a shade. And I, I, I know you probably don't realize that I... I I, I can't sit still very long, and, um, and so I have to kind of be up, and I can lay there for a few minutes, and i got to get up. And So I'm walking, and as I'm walking, there's a young girl that is walking in front of me, and she's just a few steps in front of me. And I really didn't pay much attention to her at all, and she just stops abruptly, and I almost, almost just knock her down, but she stops so she can take a selfie. It was just, it was a moment, you know? She just kind of felt it. And, and, and so she just stopped and threw the, and, 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 and smiled and, did her hair and, you know, did the little kiss thing and you know what I'm talking about. And then she would rearrange and, uh, you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, what what are you doing? And then she takes a picture and then she has to stop and look at it, you know? got look, make sure it's good, put it in a filter and make sure that when I post it, everything looks good. and I'm th- And I thought to myself, pride goes before the fall. Girl, you're gonna kill yourself if you keep doing that. You can't just walk along and stop all of a sudden thinking that the world around you is going to stop because you're the most important thing. And for her, at that moment, she was the most important thing. And we live in a world today that revolves around us. The world is teaching us that you are the most important thing. You are what matters. You deserve this, all of these things. And Paul says, hey, it's good to have a self-esteem that is healthy, but be careful because a healthy self-esteem can quickly turn into an unhealthy self-esteem when you think, that you can handle life in your own strength. And you think you're pretty enough or good enough that you don't need any help. And you try to live life and you you will ignore God. And he said, don't do that. Have a healthy self-esteem that says, I know who I am, but also know that I need God. I can't make it without him. Then he goes on and he gives us the positive side. He says to us that the, the concept of pride goes before the fall. And, and by the way, I don't want to chase this rabbit, but, but this is pride month, right? Isn't that ironic? That we can embrace something that is so contradictory to what the scriptures say and we say, let's just be proud about this. And you know what? God says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Don't you get proud about those things because that that's that's you're gonna stumble and fall pride comes before the fall just a thought he now turns to the positive side of it though when he says hey um think of yourself with sober judgment okay if i'm not supposed to think of myself more highly than i ought What do I do? Well, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance, he says, with the measure of our faith. Now, the word measure that is used there could also be translated standard. What is the measure of our faith? What is the standard of our faith? It's Jesus. Jesus is the standard. So I think what Paul is saying in the text before us is that we are to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the standard who is Jesus. How did he think of himself? How does he challenge us to view ourselves as we live life? And as I thought about that, I think one of the best expressions of it perhaps is is. In the Beatitudes, do you remember in the Beatitudes when Jesus is teaching, kind of outlines in that one Sermon on the Mount the the whole message that he would preach throughout his ministry. And he begins by saying this, blessed, or you could even translate it happy, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not, Not those that are rich in spirit and feel good about it, but those that are poor Why would he say poor in spirit? Because they're the ones that recognize they they have a need. And if I recognize I have a need, I can turn to God for that need to be met. And and he goes further and says, "And, and happy are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. What is that reference to? I think it's a reference to our salvation, recognizing that I'm a sinner separated from God and I can't save myself. Paul makes that clear in the first 11 chapters. And because I understand that and I realize and I mourn over my condition, happy am I. Because when I realize I can't save myself, now all of a sudden I'm open to a Savior who can provide for me. Blessed, happy, are those who are poor happy are those who mourn happy are those who are gentle they'll inherit the earth happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they'll be satisfied happier the merciful for they'll receive mercy happy are the pure in heart all of these characteristics are the characteristics that that, that we see he's calling us to He's literally saying, keep yourself and your self-confidence and your self-esteem in check so that you don't become so arrogant that you think you can do life on your own. Now, some of us would say, "I, I don't think I have to worry about that. That's not really a problem for me. But let me tell you today, what I believe is the greatest expression of pride undetected in your life and in mine. I think it's prayerlessness. Let me put it this way. If you have made it to this point in our time together, it's uh it's 10-10. If you've made it to 10 o'clock this morning and you haven't prayed, you know what you're saying? I got this. God, I don't need you. When I need you, I'll call you. But until I call you, I'm good. I got it. And I think that's arrogance. I think that's pride. Pride. To think that I can live an hour without need, that's why I I believe the challenges for us as believers every day before we ever get out of the bed to say, God, thank you for a new day. I need you. I'm not going to be able to live the way you want me to live and face the challenges that I'm going to face unless you are with me. I need you today. And I acknowledge my need for you. I acknowledge that I'm weak without you that you are my strength. I don't have the wisdom that I need without your wisdom. I don't have the insight that I need without your knowledge. God, I need you. Paul said, hey, when God changes us from the inside out, he changes the way we think about ourselves. And we begin to live our life dependent upon him. And oh my goodness, when we do, we then access his power, and we access his wisdom, and we access his grace, and he gives us the ability to live life. So it begins with right thinking about ourselves. But he goes one step further and says, okay, now that the Holy Spirit's working in our life, if we yield to God, that not only impacts the way we think about ourselves, it's gonna impact the way we think about others. Look at the next verse, verse 4 and, uh, and verse 5. Verse 4, for just as we are many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, I might really should kind of change The screen a little bit and say rather than saying that he's talking to us about our right thinking about others I really think he's talking about uh, Right thinking about others within the body of Christ because he's talking about those of us who are Christians And he's talking about the challenges that we face within the church And and this is what I think if we can if we can master this within the church We're gonna be fine with people outside the church we, we should have a handle on this, and this allows us to begin to impact the relationships we have with others. So he offers this amazing illustration uh, to kind of help us understand how we are to react to other people within uh, the body of Christ. Now, he, he does that and in verse 4. He begins by saying, just as, and when he has that phrase, just as, it links to the verse that he just finished, closely to verse 3. And, and he is ultimately saying this, a right view of ourself with Christ as the standard will help us think correctly about other people. There, there are three things that Paul often challenges us as believers to do with regard to the relationship we have with others as a church he says there is to be within the church unity there is within the church diversity and there is within the church mutuality and in the text before us the the idea is that the body of Christ is diverse he says But just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function. He says that, guess what? Everybody in the body of Christ is unique. We're all different. And we come, as we say it every week, every time you come in here, someone introduces our worship time. Someone welcomes you, and someone says to you every week, what do we say? That our mission statement here, what we believe God has put us on the corner of, of 4100 Southwest Loop 820 in Fort Worth, Texas, he's put us here to accomplish, is guiding people of all generations and backgrounds into a thriving relationship with Christ. You see, one of the things that makes our church fun is that we have people from all generations. We have newborns in the nursery, and we have people that are well into their 90s. We have people at every stop in between, and there is a lot of difference between a person who is in preschool and a person who's 90 years old, right? There's a lot of difference between our, our youth and a person that's 90 years old and, and the way they see things and comprehend. And, and when you have that kind of diversity in an age span, how in the world do you come together in unity? Because young people like certain things and old people like certain things and, 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 and we can't cater to the old people and meet the needs of the young people and we can't cater to the young people and meet the needs of the old people. And Paul says, yes, you can. Because the body of Christ is diverse. It's not all young people and it's not all old people. And we come from various backgrounds. Some of you grow up, have grown up in rural areas. Some of you have grown up in the city. Some of you have grown up in America. Some of you have grown up in other countries. Some of you, English is your first language. For some of you, it is not your first language. Some of you are new to America. Some of you are born here. Some of you are Democrats. Some of you are Republicans. Some of you have different ethnic backgrounds and origins than everybody else. And Paul says, but even amid all of the diversity that is there, God designed it that we would be diverse. There is unity, not uniformity. We don't all have to think the same way. We don't have to look the same way. We don't have to act the same way. We don't have to change any of those things that make us diverse and different. We come together with a diversity that is unique from all generations and all backgrounds. And amid that kind of diversity, there is unity. And Paul says that not only is there unity in the body of Christ, there's even mutuality. What he says is not only do we have unity, we we need each other. We have a connection with one another. Paul, when he writes other churches, when he writes the church in Corinth, in, in the, the letters that we have in 1 Corinthians and Second Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes that church very much some of the same uh, encouragement that he offers here to the church at Rome. And, and, and he says uh, in that passage of Scripture as he talks about the body of Christ, he says, in the body of Christ, when one of us rejoices, all of us rejoice. And when one of us suffers, all of us suffer. He he said the unique thing about the body of Christ is that we are interconnected. We need each other. When I was growing up, I uh, had a bad fall on a horse and shattered my wrist. Ended up having multiple surgeries and, and, and replacing the wrist and all kinds of things that happened to me there. But I remember uh, that, was, that was one of the first times I'd broken bones when I was a child, but that was the first time I remember breaking one. And, and I will say this. I remember the first night after I had shattered my wrist. It was my wrist that was shattered, but the rest of my body stayed up with it all night long. The rest of my body was aware that this was, was, was not right. And the rest of my body was saying, oh, we sympathize with that right there. And, and nobody would go to sleep. Nothing else would happen. I wasn't hungry. My stomach says I'm not really interested in eating right now. I'm worried about the rest. And, and, and my, you know, my mind says I'm not really interested in going to bed right now. I'm worried about the rest. And all that's going on and so what does Paul say he says that we are a body and we are mutually connected to one another so that when one of us hurt the rest of us do and when one of us rejoice the rest of us do no wonder when Jesus was here before he left he prayed for the church And this is what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for the church. In verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their their sakes, I sanctify myself that, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, out of those who believe in me through their word, that they may come That they may all be one, even as you, Father, and I are one. You and me, and I'm in you. That they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I give to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in unity so that the world may know you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. You know, when Jesus prayed that with the diversity of the church, that we would have unity because he says unity in the church is the way the people outside are going to discover that God loves them. The church should be the one place where racism never, ever exists. It has no place here. The church is the one place where we don't look down on anybody else as we look at one another. We look at others recognizing a a, a good understanding of who I am. I am a, a, a person in need of God's grace. I'm a recipient of God's mercy. And as such... I look at you as my brother and sister in Christ. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We desperately need each other. And the world is searching for that kind of unity, and they can't find it. They try to find it in a candidate. If we can just elect that person as a president, then he could bring the world together. No, it's only in Christ that we can be brought together. And so what what is it that Paul says? When you have a right understanding of yourself and you live that out, and it's expressed in the right understanding of how you live in relationship to other people, then the world is going to see the love of God within you. The church is to be the one place where we recognize that diversity coming together in unity. When when we measure ourselves by the standard of Christ, we're free to be ourselves. Being in Christ's body magnifies our uniqueness. So right thinking about myself and right thinking about others allows me to live out my purpose. And the final thing that he says is this, it also allows me to find my place in the body of Christ. If if I have a right understanding of who I am and a right understanding of who you are, it also gives me an opportunity to connect with you in in, in a special way, right? Thinking about my connections, if you will. And he does that in the next few verses, and we're going to have to kind of come back and unpack this later. We'll do that next week. But he does that by talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul says that each one of you are placed within the body of Christ and each one of you have a spiritual gift. And he does that if you look with me back in Romans and and, uh, in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he goes through and he names some of those spiritual gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, mercy. Now, before we get into that understanding of what Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts... Let me give you some basic truths that kind of set the stage for it and helps us understand why it's important and how it connects. Because what we really come to understand is that my identity can never, my identity in Christ can never truly be lived out apart from community. I can never become all God wants me to become without you. I need you. You need me. And in the relationship we have within the church, and when I say church, I'm talking about the local church. That's why it's important that we plug into a local church. There's two words in the Bible for church. One of them is the sense in which the church, the global church, every person who is a child of God is a member of the church, the body of Christ. Whether they live in a foreign country or here, it doesn't make any difference the label they put on the door. If they've accepted Christ, they're part of the church. But do you know that 90% of the time when the word church is used in the Bible, it's not talking about that global church. It's talking about a local church, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at Laodicea, that individual church that we are to be a part of, that God leads us to. Because it's in that individual church that we connect with others. And we are able to exercise the gifts that God has given us. So this is what Paul says. Here's some basic truth that I think we need to understand about spiritual gifts. And so Paul's talking to the church and he's saying, there's got to be unity. Thinking of yourselves in the right way and thinking of others in the right way. You got to understand this. God has given to every person, everyone. He uses the word everyone in verse three. God has given to every believer a gift, a spiritual gift. Now, the reason he does that is so that we can't brag about having one because we all have one. So I can't brag and say, well, I've got a spiritual gift and it just puts me in a position where I can look down at you and say, poor, pitiful you, you don't have a relationship with God that enables you to have a gift. Well, guess what? You have one too. Yeah, I've got one. I've got one. I've got one. Everybody in the room's got one. So there's no room for bragging. That's why Paul says, I want to tell you something, we don't think more highly of ourselves. And sometimes we have a tendency to think that if I have a certain spiritual gift, I'm better than somebody else. And Paul said, no, everybody's got a gift. And then he goes one step further. And I love this. Not only does he say all of us have one, but he also says, God is the one who determines which one you get. So you didn't get to pick. So I don't get to brag about that either. You know what? I I mean, I didn't, oh, I picked a good one and you got enough. No, God's the one that gave it to me. I didn't have any choice. God said, you know what? I'm going to give you this gift. Recognizing who you are. I know you, Carol. I formed you before you were ever born. I loved you. I know you. I know your personality. I know the kind of things that you're going to experience in life. And I'm never going to waste an experience. And I, because I know you, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift that fits your personality and the experiences that you have and the passion that you have, the heart that I've given you. All of those things are going to come together. And when you exercise that spiritual gift in keeping with who you are, oh, listen, you're, you're fulfilling your purpose. And so what does Paul say? He begins by saying, hey, God gives every one of us a gift. He's the one that determines which one has it. So all of us have it. No one is left out. And then he says also that it is given to us basically not for ourselves, but for the strength of the body. That God didn't give you the gift so that you could be better. He gave you the gift so that others could benefit. So that when we all come together as a body, Every one of us has something unique to provide that enables everyone around us to thrive in our relationship with Christ. That God's chosen you to be a part of what he wants to do here at this church. If, if he's led you here, he said, you know what, I want you to be here because I've uniquely gifted you. And from all the experiences you've had in life, I want you to be right there because there's something I want to do in the life of this church. And I need you to be a part of that so that it can be accomplished so he gives us the gifts so that we can strengthen the body of christ now the other thing that i want you to notice about this and we'll develop it as i mentioned later there's not an exhaustive list paul just gives us a few here he gives us another list in first corinthians chapter 12 we also find some in ephesians the bible doesn't give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts There are more than are listed in Scripture. But every one of us have one. Every one of us are called by God to use one. And might also say this, that the spiritual gifts God gives us, I'll say this, are not an excuse that we can offer for not serving. What I mean by that is sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, we know that God has called all of us, to bring about the unity of the church. He's called all of us to communicate the gospel with those who are far from God. And if you're not careful, you'll say, well, I know that God's called us to do that, but I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to share the gospel. No, just because you don't have a particular gift doesn't mean that you are not to be obedient to what God called. So Paul introduces, we're going to develop it more later. He introduces the concept of spiritual gifts to simply say this. God has given you a spiritual gift so that you can connect with other people. And in the process of connecting with other people, you can live life as God intended. So the the scripture challenges us to discover and develop and implement the gifts that we have been given so that we can connect with others in a powerful way. What it boils down to is this. Paul is saying, if you yield to God daily, he'll change your focus. And your focus will go from self to him. And when it does, you're not going to think of yourself more highly than you ought. And as you focus on him, you're going to find the strength you need to make it through the day. And as you have that right focus on him, he changes our perspective on how we see others. And others who may be very different than we are, are not viewed by us as someone beneath us, but someone who is a part of the family of faith who is essential, essential. To me becoming all that God wants me to be. What he's saying is this God may use somebody that is absolutely opposite than you are to bring you to a place where you need to be in your walk with him. And then he says, I've done this really cool thing. I've brought all of you together as a body and I've gifted you so that you can use those gifts to accomplish my purpose there is a deep need in our world today for connection the pandemic in 2020 revealed to us that there is a heart cry in every person to connect with another person we try to do it in so many different ways only to discover that it leads to disaster and god says I created you and gifted you to connect with others in a way that fulfills your purpose and my plan that's what he's called us to so what do we do with what we talked about today well I think we commit to say God I'm the recipient of your mercy and your grace and the only reasonable thing to do is to say, God, because you have so graciously given and offered salvation and forgiveness to me, I give you my life. I receive the forgiveness and eternal life that you give. And I crawl up on the altar. And I want to do that every day. Day today, God, I want to give you my life, control of my life, yield to you. I want to conform my thinking, not to the world, but to your way of thinking. I want you Holy Spirit to transform me, renew my mind so that I can think of myself as I should and others as you call me to, preparing for the calling that you will bring about in my life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, just a simple truth. There are some in this room today who are struggling with pride and don't even know it. And maybe we've been reminded of that truth today because we have made it all the way to this point without acknowledging that we need you. And we are setting ourselves up in a dangerous place because we're trying to live life in our own power. And that's why we're always scrambling when things go wrong and we come running to you when you're saying, hey, I'll give you the strength to walk through that if you'll come to me first. So help us do that see ourselves as we should and then father if we have somehow come to the place where we think we're better than somebody else somebody who has a different view than we do and we're right they're wrong and would you just help us to recognize that uh, you've transformed us and put us in the body and you've connected us and we need each other so let the prayer of Jesus for the unity of church be answered in our lives so the world can see it and know is our prayer in Jesus name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliffe.com. Click the give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.